right, well, uh, welcome to EM Talkscast. It's December 21st. I have not done a podcast in too long, and that is because I took my third Tox board cert. I didn't take it three times. This is my third <laughs> research. And uh, one of my, uh, my guests today on the podcast, and, and hopefully a guest for uh, the foreseeable future, is Dr. Rita McKeever. Hello. Uh, Rita is uh, one of our faculty here, one of our toxicologists par excellence. And Rita just board certified herself. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, I was uh, getting a root canal done yesterday, and I was thinking, what's worse, a root canal <laughs> or the tox boards? And I'm pretty sure the tox boards were I, I, I would agree. way worse. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, hopefully, uh, if, if you're out there, ABEM, and you're listening, we don't like reserting every 10 years. Agreed. 100%. It's painful. So what we wanted to tackle today, which is a, is a clinical problem that, um, at least at, uh, at our institution hits us on a, on a near regular basis. And that is, uh, when is somebody who is opioid toxic, you know, ready to go? Um, we've all had that experience of someone who's overdosed on opioid, you know, fill in the blank, and um, either are lightening up enough to uh, object to their uh, having to stay in the ED, or, you know, worse yet, got some naloxone, are uh, anxious to go, and uh, not necessarily for good reasons, too. And the stimulus for the, the podcast was this great uh, Clintox article, uh, which came out from the... Uh, Washington University, uh, and some folks there, Mike Millman, Mike Wilman, sorry, David Liss, Evan Schwartz, and Mike Mullins. Mike Mullins was a medical student here at Hahnemann and a uh, toxicologist uh, from way back. So uh, we took a look at this article and tried to sort of come up with some basic take-home points from it. Rita, what were your thoughts on this whole... It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting... Uh, and very important question to kind of answer these days, especially with the heroin and just opioid epidemic that's kind of been going on. And we've seen our fair share of patients. And it's, I, I feel like, you know, the medical community is kind of starting to, you know, reel things in a little bit. But they, they it, it was a very interesting article because they kind of looked at a few specific questions and, uh, you know, trying to come up with what's the best way and how easy would it be for us to kind of either discharge these patients or, you know, also pre-hospital, would it be okay for these patients not, not to even have to come into the hospital? Um, and, you know, I think a couple of the pretty specific points were, you know, you have to be pretty sure that it's a person, if they have received naloxone, it's a short-acting mm-hmm. opioid, not yes. something that you right. would be concerned about, like methadone, for example, right. or um, you know some of the uh, oxycontins and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of went through a few of the, uh, at least an observation of an hour after, if right. it, if you are not concerned uh, that it's a long-acting, and you know you've observed them for an hour, and they can kind of pass a few of these right. bedside tests that. It may be okay to. to yeah. Their their go. question was: Do heroin overdose patients require observation after receiving naloxone? Mm-hmm. And they kind of broke it down into basically. Actually, they asked, if you will, three questions: uh, What the medical risk to a heroin user who refuses ambulance transport after naloxone? Right. So EMS right. in the field gives somebody a shot of naloxone, and the patient gets up and runs away, <laughs> which happens. <laughs> Uh, what's the risks of let, allowing that to happen? 
Number two, if the heroin user is treated in the ED with naloxone, how long must they be observed prior to discharge? I think that's the question we most often are. Us, yeah, yeah, most pertinent to us. And then three, and this is what really got me interested in the era of naloxone uh, in the lay person's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, how effective in heroin users is naloxone administered by first responders and bystanders, and are there risks associated with that particular distribution program? So their method was basically a very, I, I think, a very exhaustive PubMed and Google Scholar search. They used, they looked at anything that was in this in this uh, English language, and they basically searched those three questions. Uh, and on with question one, I think they found two of the two studies that were really most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. They were really the telling ones. One of them was the uh, Copenhagen Denmark ten year study. Uh, 10 years of opioid toxicity, uh, and then the other one was the L.A. Fire Department study. Each of these studies, without going into detail, each of these studies found that the, the risk of rebound opioid toxicity is less than half a percent um, in patients who are treated with naloxone in the field. That, I think, is very telling. I mean, right. that is a low number. If we could ever get to treating myocardial infarction and get to like point four percent or point one percent like the one study um then i think we'd be pretty happy uh so in my mind there's only one caveat and that is that the issue here is if rebound opioid toxicity toxicity is your only concern right and i can remember um you know at nyu and fellowship being sort of you know taught that like listen it's a complicated problem it's not just is the guy awake uh, and alert? Uh, you know, it's uh, connecting this person to rehab and all these other issues. And it's not something, a burden we would throw out to the medics uh, after they've given the loxone and the person just says, like, let me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that's the answer to the question that's like, it's okay to give them the loxone and let somebody go from an EMS standpoint? Would you be okay with that? It would have to be very, you know, it's a, a, a very specific person. So yeah. if it's, you know, if it's a person, that, you know, these studies pretty much showed that the risk is low in the in that the rebound toxicity the rebound toxicity right. is low right. in that uh population that specific like heroin use that's right, all right. you're concerned about right. and they didn't find that that you know l- looking across different uh you know uh, studies for patients that may have died later and everything else they really didn't find a higher increase in mortality so right. I, you know i would say that it's probably okay in those situations to uh, you know, if they're not able to bring them in, if they wake up and they run off, you, most likely the risk of mortality is pretty low. Yeah, you probably don't have to move heaven and earth to go get these right. get these patients. They have a very low risk, so it's not no risk, obviously, and it's not the ideal, obviously, but it is probably a low risk situation. So hopefully that informs EMS folks on just the level of effort they need to put in to to dealing with a patient who um, may have eloped uh, in the field, if you will. So question two was, if a heroin user is treated in the emergency department, uh, how long do they have to be observed? If you um, revive somebody with naloxone, for lack of a better term, how long do they have to be uh, observed? And there is other, there is literature out there uh, on this. What's right. your, what's your, what's your current practice right now? Yeah. What do you do? Uh, right now, I'd, I actually typically would watch these people about four hours yeah, um, after giving them yeah. naloxone. 
you know, as long as, again, I'm not concerned about them having else anything else on board besides heroin, and that's right, the main reason right. I'm watching so them. So it's no methadones, no Oxycontins, no MS-Contins. Right. Right. Uh, and it can no be tough. mixed overdoses. Exactly. 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 And it can be tough to keep these patients in the ED sometimes because, you know, they've gotten and, you know, I try to do the most minimal dose possible of naloxone just to get their respiratory drive right. going, not to wake them up and have a belligerent, upset patient. But, uh, you know, at times they wake up and they do not want to be in the ED and right, it makes it right. difficult. What's your starting dose for waking up a heroin overdose? 0.04 yeah. milligrams. Yeah. I try to go, um, I'll go a little higher than that. I will do 0.1 sometimes mm-hmm. because so many times I'm, I'm, I'm asking the nurses to draw, draw 0.04 and they're <laughs> looking cross-eyed at the syringe. And I was like, listen, just make it easy, 0.1. Do, yeah. And uh, there is a dose of naloxone that restores respiration without necessarily uh, returning the patient to their full pre-opioid mental status, if right. you will. I think the beauty of that is that uh, that's a patient that you can more easily observe, you know. And if you've been, and if you're, you've made a mistake and you've given a methadone maintenance person a big dose of naloxone, you're really going to regret it. Yeah. But if you give just touch somebody with like a 0.04 starting dose, if you look at the peds dosing, it's per kilo, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the 0.04 dose has always been given as a good starting dose. So. Um, Anyway, the point is to start a little bit low and then uh, administer in successive boluses. Uh, there is a great review article on this. Uh, Ed Boyer did in the New England Journal in 2000 2012. Yeah, mm-hmm. and has a great has a great flow sheet there for. Um, and also, we were saying a very classic Ed Boyer picture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Netter esque. Yep. Of the uh, clinical findings in opioid analgesic intoxication, I, I was looking at this last night preparing for this, and my, my twenty uh, some year old son looked over my shoulder and was like, "Wow, that guy looks like he's overdosed on heroin." I was like, <laughs> "Ding, ding, ding!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Circle gets the square. <laughs> but um, the the I think the protocol that Ed puts in this article is a good guiding, uh, which is to say, you know, start with 0.04 or 0.1 per kilo for peds. And then no increase in the respiratory rate in two to three minutes, then go 0.5, reassess, then go two, then four, and 10, and then 15, knowing that there's virtually no, uh, shall we say, adverse event, uh, adverse consequence associated with a high dose of naloxone, right? So you can just bang away at it. And um, in the carfentyl era, yeah. uh, you know, this is becoming more and more often. We're seeing more and more folks calling us with requests for how, f- how high can I go? Right. So that's a good protocol to, uh, to go through. So anyway, uh, back to this Clintock study, uh, they did look at a number of studies on this and they looked at a particular paper. I think we're both interested in, which is the Christensen paper and all this will be in the show notes. Uh, the Christensen paper from 2000, 2000. October of 2000. Yeah. Uh, which was early discharge of patients with presumed opioid overdose, development of a clinical prediction rule. We love our roles in emergency medicine, so. I know. It <laughs> seems like the, the, the uh, currency with which we, we operate together, you know, like, the, you know, do you have a checklist? Uh, <laughs> probably safer. I, I, uh, did you like this paper, the Christensen paper? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, it's interesting. We don't have something to kind of look through, you know, when you're assessing these patients systematically. They said it still obviously needs to be validated. But, you know, some, some things that are 
common sense, I should say, you know, right. when you're thinking about these patients and right. what would be okay to discharge. Mm-hmm. They developed this discharge rule, and there's uh, six components of them. And uh, one of them is can mobilize as usual, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think means walk. Uh, pretty much can walk. <laughs> Uh, and then has a normal O2 sat greater than 92%, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Normal respiratory rate between 10 and 20, makes sense. Normal temperature, interesting. Normal heart rate, obviously, n- and GCS of 15. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon in opioid overdoses, and I think this gets people into a ton of trouble, and that is that they assess the patient after they've stimulated them. Right. right? You've seen that? Oh, absolutely. Right. The Sternal rub pre-discharge assessment. You awake over there? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. uh, if you do that, you will get you will get an improvement in saturation. You'll get an improvement in respiratory rate, and and you might not change the heart rate very much. Obviously, the GCS will change. They may not be able to walk, which is what most folks end up relying on when they stimulate them to see if they can go. But you can definitely get into trouble. I suspect a lot of folks who have gotten into trouble with early discharge have not really taken a look at that from that standpoint, you know. They, yeah, they, and that's one of the things that was also mentioned uh, in the Boyer paper that we were talking about, uh, you know, kind of along the same lines with that flow chart where, you know, after they have it after observing the, you know, for four to six hours after the naloxone dose, is the patient awake and alert in the absence of oral or tactile stimuli? So they exactly. kind of talk about that as right. well. So, so going back to our question then, so someone comes in, you've got a short-acting opioid, a.k.a. heroin, so you know you're not dealing with a long-acting situation. You know naloxone is going to wear off within the hour or mm-hmm. so. It has a shorter half-life than the heroin, uh, and uh, that you are in a situation where you're going to be able to observe the patient. Can you wait as soon as an hour uh, or so, uh, according to the Christensen article, if you use this discharge rule, you can. You can do it safety, safely. And I think it had a very good, it, it had a very high sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it was not very specific. Uh, and you had to apply it, I think, pretty carefully. Uh, but you could um, discharge patients. I, this is, as long as you're using this, that six-point decision rule, and you really are doing it without pre-stimulus, I feel like I, I, when I practice that way, I've discharged patients uh, safely after giving them, uh, you know, an analgesic. I mean... <laughs> and naloxone. <laughs> naloxone, yeah. Whatever the, the opposite analgesic of that is. followed it, by it, naloxone. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> one for you, one for me. <laughs> so that's a great article. And, and again, it's, it's probably worth a reread for some of you. It goes back um, uh, almost 16 years now. But I think... Uh, when you combine that wisdom plus uh, the wisdom that we see in um, really adhering to this, not stimulating the patient, uh, I think the answer to question two, uh, as put forth by this article, is indeed you can do so in a a low-risk situation. Now, what about delayed pulmonary edema? Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I've never seen it. And we obviously are seeing more and more of these heroin patients that are getting uh, naloxone in the field. I've right. never seen delay, you know, pulmonary edema or, de- or delayed pulmonary edema even with um, uh, when we get consulted on the floors right. for these tox patients. Yeah. Um, now, I, I have seen, I have never seen delayed onset 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I generally have seen pulmonary edema occur uh, fairly early. However, I have seen situations where uh, the pulmonary edema in a fulminant form has not really manifest until many, many hours later. And when I looked, when I, I was training and looked at the early literature on and some of these these case series of like where like forty percent of people got pulmonary edema, I these were all all these articles were in the seventies, predated the use of pulse oximetry. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly on EMS. Uh, when I was training in the nineties, you know, we had a pulse oximeter that we would you know move around on wheels. Yeah. Uh, so I think if I had a guess, I would guess a lot of these, quote, pulmonary edemas were not delayed. They were just mild and missed and that really became manifest like many, many hours later as more fulminant. So I, I'm not so certain that delayed pulmonary edema exists per se. It's just that it's a very mild pulmonary edema. You're not going to catch it unless you're really paying attention to that pulse ox. Sure. You know, and auscultating, auscultating and really listening for it. The second mistake you can make is to accept a lowish pulse ox, attribute it to a little hypoventilation, stimulate the patient and see it improve, and then feel like, well, confident that, like, well, there's nothing going on here. The pulse ox was 91, but when he woke up, it's 97. Now, I think you should be treating that sleeping pulse ox because when the patient leaves, they're going to they're go, gonna yeah, they're probably gonna, go back to sleep. <laughs> curl up in the back of a van and, <laughs> and go get pulmonary edema on you. And yeah, in, real, in reality, the patient has to be basically 100% uh, normal. Normal, really, yeah. Really, really, truly. And so if they're normal at one hour, I think that in, in most cases, then they're normal and, the, and they can go. Now, the third question is, have you seen cases in the ED where folks have been uh, revived with bystander naloxone? fellow addicts or what have you who've been given them been given naloxone i've been consulted on that i have not seen it specifically in the ed but i've definitely had consults on uh, you know where they've gotten um bystander naloxone we had a patient who was literally found by a passerby who by some stroke of luck was like a nurse on her way to work who also by some stroke of luck had naloxone and fortunately the guy was in a car with a door unlocked and she looked, and he looked like purple, like a Smurf. <laughs> she, wow. She gave him a lock, so I don't call 911. It was his lucky it. day. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, I th- some of the studies on this uh, in terms of giving bystanders and what have you have raised some concerns, right, about, you know, if you've got the antidote, what's keeping you from just really making unwise choices about, you know, your heroin use? Right. Um, and they said that, you know, they found that people weren't using more heroin because of it. And it seems, you know, in the studies that have been done, there haven't been many, but it seems to have, they've found some safety and some efficacy in helping people that would mm-hmm. have probably ended up, you know, dying or uh, maybe even, you know, hypoxic and have mm-hmm. some anoxic brain injury and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I thought it was fascinating that you, if you survey users, they said they were not likely to change their dose knowing that somebody could rescue them with naloxone. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's true. And then I thought, the one thing we know about users of heroin who know what naloxone is is that they don't want it. That's true. Yep. <laughs> so I can Sometimes s- that's enough to wake them up if that's you right. just say the word. That's naloxone. right. Auditory <laughs> naloxone. <laughs> Sir, I'm standing here with a syringe of naloxone. What? I'm here. I'm awake. Where, where am I? What's going on? <laughs> Alternatively known as Narcan. Can you hear me? If so, open your eyes and breathe. 
Yeah, so when I thought about that, I thought, you know, there's your proof, right? There's nobody is going to, no regular heroin user is like, oh, sure, bring the naloxone. I'll just overdose. So that makes sense to me that that um, that would not really increase, um, you know, an abuse pattern when, when folks were, um, felt that uh, I was in agreement with the basically the conclusions of the, of the article that training these folks to use naloxone are likely to be safe and beneficial. Um, and then we'll see what, you know, how things play out. Mm -hmm. So I guess to conclude, do heroin overdose patients require observation after receiving naloxone? What's the answer? I mean, it sounds like if you're sure that it's short acting and, you know, they pass that six point test uh, um, and you're not stimulating them before that, then right. it's probably okay to discharge them with uh, an hour of observation. Yeah. And some I of them would be, you know, you tell them something as short as an hour. Um, they're probably a little more likely to yeah. sit on that stretcher with their turkey sandwich <laughs> yeah, and wait it sure. out instead of being right. pacing back and forth. If you, know? you come back to the room and the turkey sandwich is hanging out of their mouth, half chewed, eh, you might want to wait another hour. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, very true. Um, so yeah, with regard to EMS, I think from, from a standpoint of EMS, if someone, um, you know, is an obvious heroin situation and they, um, you know, uh, do not want to be transported and pass the, you know, sort of awake and alert test when not stimulated. Uh, I think there's very low risk of, of, of recurrent opioid toxicity. And again, if that's your only concern, right, you're not concerned about transporting somebody for therapy or intervention, then the, the risk of a bad outcome is, is probably honestly lower than their long-term risk use of heroin uh, right. uh, in general. Interesting that I think uh, the literature or the toxicology folks are sort of catching up with what emergency medicine folks kind of have always known, mm -hmm. which is there's a good group. I think some of the data, for instance, in the Christensen article suggests that it's about 40% of folks who come in with um, a heroin overdose uh, uh, probably are going to be okay and, and could be, leave after a very, very short observation period. So, uh, well, that's all the news that's fit to print on that. And um, I hope this was helpful to the folks out there who are dealing with this on a daily basis. Uh, you're not obligated to keep them all night and tie them up or do anything <laughs> else to keep them there. So thanks, Rita, for joining me for the podcast. Thank you for having me. This yeah. is great. We'll have, to do, we'll have to do another one or find some cool stuff to yeah, talk about. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Bye.